Good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 20. Again, uh, I welcome you to join us. Uh, those, those feeds for Advent will be taking place at 7 p.m. Uh, there's actually a guide uh, that we'll be using, and I will upload that to Facebook. And so I encourage you to take advantage of the, that as a, a family and uh, focus yourself in on the birth of Christ. The last two chapters of John, um, we start with John 20 this morning, are really these instances, all they really are are these encounters that Jesus, the resurrected Christ, has with those people He loves and those people who have been part of His ministry before He returns to the Father. And so we have this, this these just beautiful testimonies of His interaction with these people. So that's kind of the theme uh, as we finish uh, this series on John in December, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid Him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reach the tomb first. To look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there. And the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in place in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid Him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know what it, that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing Him to be the gardener, she said to Him, Sir, if you have carried Him away, tell me where... You have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. 
and that he had said these things to her. So this, this morning I want to look at the fact that God's gift to Mary Magdalene was turning her sorrow to joy by making her the unlikely first witness resurrected Lord. First thing I want us to notice is that Mary, by worldly standards, was an unlikely witness. At such an incredible moment in God's redemptive plan, what a seemingly insignificant person to be the one who would first witness what had happened. I mean, in John's Gospel, Mary Magdalene isn't even mentioned until the cross when there's just a description given of some women that are there with Mary, the mother of Christ. That's the first we hear of this Mary Magdalene. Only one of the Gospels mentions Mary Magdalene before the crucifixion, and that is Luke. Here's what Luke says, because I think it's important information to know about her. In Luke 8, chapter, one, verses, uh, chapter 8, verses 1-3, through three, Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa and Herod's household manager. And Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. We see that some things about Mary Magdalene. She was a sinner set free. She used to be in a very bad way. She was possessed by seven demons and, had, and she had infirmities as well. I don't know where Jesus came in contact with Mary, but I bet it, she wasn't at church. I know how corrupt my flesh can be. And the decisions that I can make that are oftentimes very bad and ungodly. Imagine if I had seven demons possessing me calling the shots. You think Mary had done some stuff? You think Mary was known as a pretty wretched woman considering her past of having seven demons control her life? She was likely had been Someone just cast out by society, especially religious society. No doubt she had remained on the outside looking in. A woman who was known as just a sinful woman. But she had met the Lord. And everything had changed for her. The demons that had plagued her were gone. The infirmities that had long held her down were healed. So she had come to love Jesus. Despite being disregard, a disregarded sinner, she was the first witness, to, first to witness the possibility of the resurrection. Not only was she a sinner, she was a woman. Jesus had surrounded Himself with twelve faithful men. He had three of those men that were in the inner circle. Men of whom the Bible is filled with their stories, yet it was Mary Magdalene who was the first entrusted with the truth of the empty tomb. She runs and lets John, Peter, John and Peter know 
She was the first witness, but she was a woman. Now, that may not seem strange to us in our society, from our perspective in the 21st century, but oftentimes in these days, in the days that this was taking place, a a woman's witness would have been rejected. It certainly would have been rejected over that of a man. Okay, so like if you were in court and a woman said gave her side of the story and a man gave his side of the story, well, the man's side of the story is to be accepted. It's to be looked at as superior. And that made great on our sense of morality and equality, and rightly so, but that was the world which Mary knew. And yet God entrusted a woman to be the first witness of the resurrection. Though the courts might have rejected her witness, Jesus honored a faithful woman. And He still honors faithful women. Amen? Though He has appointed men to the offices of the church, nevertheless, God constantly seeks faithful women and He honors them with great and powerful responsibilities and tasks for His kingdom. Amen. I'm thankful for the women of Wyatt and the women in my own life who have been entrusted with such incredible tasks that God gives women. Despite being a woman whose society would have devalued, God valued Mary as a vital part of the resurrection Christ. What we know about Mary was simply that she was faithful. Going back to Luke, Here's what we know about her before the cross. She was a part of a band of ladies that traveled alongside of the twelve and cared for them. This is what it says. And uh, she was part of many others who provided for them out of their means. Mary was part of this quiet band of ladies who cared for Jesus and the disciples. It's pretty, pretty cool to think about, right? I mean, when we read... When we read the gospel narrative and we see Jesus and his twelve and they're they're out there and they're doing these amazing things and they're they're teaching these amazing truths and they're they're healing the sick. Jesus is out there walking on the water, he's raising the dead. But in the backdrop, back there behind all that's going on, it's just this great band of faithful women just doing what needed to be done to provide out of their talents and out of their finances the means by which that Jesus and the disciples' ministry could carry on. I don't know what all they did. But they were vital. They were important to the ministry that was going on that we read about. They were serving out of sight. But now one of these ladies takes center stage in the resurrection. She comes out of the background and the, and the spotlight is suddenly shown on her and of course ultimately to her resurrected Lord. Why? Because she just kept doing what she had always been doing. And there's a reason. She wasn't just going early in the morning just, you know, just to, to cinnamon because of sentimentality of, hey, let me go visit the grave, kind of like we would do. There was more to it than that. Jesus' body 
it kind of had to be prepared in haste because of the Passover. So they really had to throw together his burial, throw him uh, in a tomb, and not everything had been taken care of. And so what she's doing is she's going to care for the body of Christ to kind of finish up. To finish up what, what they had started in, in preparing that body and, and to kind of for his final rest and what was going on. She was doing in his death what she had been doing in his life. She had been taking care of her Lord. And now in his death, she was once again going to take care of her Lord. We see in Mary Magdalene the great value God puts in His faithful servants. She had been in the background. She had, and she would have been perfectly content probably to remain in the background, but here she is entrusted as a first-hand witness to the best news the world has ever known. Christian, do you feel insignificant? Mother of small children, do you ever feel insignificant to God's kingdom because so much of your life is the mundane task of motherhood? Christian, do you often feel insignificant because you are not the one on the stage, but you're the one in the sound booth, or you're the one working security, or you're the one changing diapers in the nursery? Christian, do you feel insignificant because so much of what you feel you have to offer is private prayer? Christian, do you feel that because of your past you could never be used of the kingdom now? Mary is the every Christian, the, the most common Christian. The servant whose actions seem insignificant but they are anything but insignificant to God. Know that He sees every simple act done for His kingdom. And He will honor it in this life or the next. He will honor every simple act of care and faith that's shown towards Him in our lives. In the middle of, of Mary's story, we, we kind of have the story of John and Peter and their race to the tomb. When Mary Magdalene sees the open and empty tomb, she, she runs and gives the news to Peter and, and John. Now as much as she loved Jesus and believed in Jesus, she did not yet believe the news of the resurrection. She believed that someone had taken his body. So when they receive this news, they take off running, not knowing what had happened. But even just the miss, the, the, the body of Christ going missing was a, would have been a big deal to them. So their enthusiasm over seeing what in the world has happened is someone taken the body of their Lord. They run. Apparently John was, was a little more in shape. Peter had probably been hitting the carbs too heavily because John makes it to the tomb first. But John, being kind of the timid guy that he is, he pauses at the door. John being the, the timid guy that he is. 
But Peter, of course, being the non-Jimmy guy, he comes and he just busts through the door of the tomb to look inside. And what they found perplexing seems to be the condition of the grave clothes. It says here, he saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in place by itself. What seems perplexing to them about the grave clothes is probably the, the, the condition they were in and probably the fact that they were even still there. Okay? Well, we need to understand, when we think of grave clothes, what we think about is like the morgue and like a white sheet just thrown over a body. But do you remember what happened when Lazarus was, was raised from the dead? He came out there just bound up. He couldn't, he could barely even walk. He had to come and untie him, okay? So this is, great clothes were not just a sheet that was laid over. This was wrappings, more like what we would think of as a mummy. And so if someone would have taken the body, either the, the rags would have been laying around in disarray or they'd just been taken with them. It, it just, what they saw there, it looked odd. It looked like something different had taken place. Some scholars speculate that the great clothes might have just been laying there as if whatever was in them just passed through them. Just laying there in the shape of a body, almost. But something about it, there was something about the way they were arranged that began to make them think, at least John, to think that something miraculous had happened. So we see John and Peter's response to the tomb. It says in verse 8, Then the other disciple, who had uh, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So John sees the empty tomb and the condition of the clothes and it says that he saw and he believed. Now this is it's a significant word. Like It really does seem like John believed that something supernatural had taken place. He appears to be maybe the first one that really begins to believe, okay, maybe the resurrection, something like that has happened. We get no, no such confession from Peter. Peter, but John, again, John is writing this so he would know what's going on in his own mind and heart. He wouldn't necessarily know what was going on in Peter's heart. But verse 9, it, it tells us that neither of them had a full understanding of what was going on. For as yet, in verse 9, for as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. It continues, okay? It continues to take the disciples' time to process what's truly taking place here. We need to be patient, especially in the infancy of belief. Sometimes those who have been Christians for years in church, all of a sudden we think that anybody that comes to Christ should know it all. They should act a certain way. They should know certain things then the disciples even the disciples of christ faced with an empty tomb had to take time to process it even maybe have some more encounters with jesus before they fully 
develop the full theology of the resurrection, right? This is why discipleship is so important. This is why we are to come along beside people who have believed and help them to understand the wonderful truths of Scripture slowly. It takes time. We see an interesting next move in verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes. It seems an odd response, especially with John, who seems to be gener- seems to be having some belief here. You know, they go home. I-, I can't fully explain what's going on here. I-, I could I could tell you this, it does seem like Peter, we don't it, I don't we, we see Jesus interacting with the disciples. We don't see another interaction with Peter until the very end of the book. So it's almost as if Peter just goes home and he's just there until he finally sees Jesus as, as, as we'll, we'll, we'll cover later. I think he's still distraught over what he had done, over his denial of Christ, and now maybe his unbelief is, is there and he doesn't know what to do with it. He just goes to the house. But Mary, Mary doesn't go home. Mary stays there at the tomb. Mary's sorrow. We see that Mary's sorrow is turned to joy as she witnesses her resurrected Lord. While John believed something supernatural had happened, Mary continued to believe that something sinister had happened. Someone had stolen the body of her Lord, and she, so she wept. I want to see some things that uh, see a few things about Mary's sincere love of Christ we see in this text. She abides near the tomb. I mean, even though there's a big question mark over what's happened to Jesus' body, she just she can't go back to her house. She just she stays there by the tomb. She can't. She's got to know what happened to her Lord. We see her. She cries and. With that emotion, I mean, she's just distraught that, 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 man, as if things weren't bad enough, that I lost my Lord, now, now I've lost His body. We also see that she's standing there watching. Watching, just looking into the tomb. She stays there looking into the tomb, just, just hoping, hoping that, that, that it isn't really true, that, that, that the body isn't really, hasn't really been stolen. But then the veil is pulled back and she begins to see some very supernatural things around her. She first encounters angels. Two men dressed in white sitting in the tomb. And their, their inquiry is this, Woman, why are you weeping? They know the truth. They know that this is resurrection day. This is not a day for tears of sadness. This is a day for laughter and tears of joy. That's today. Why are you crying, Mary? And her reply, her reply shows that her remaining, her remaining in her sorrow, her sorrowful perspective that something bad had happened. She says, "They have taken taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him." 
as so often that happens to us in our misery, she can't see the glory because of the tears in her eyes. Have you ever been there? Surely you have. When things were so bad, you can't possibly imagine laughing again. You can't possibly imagine having hope again. Now think about Naomi in the story of Ruth. Naomi, she says, after she's lost her boys, after she's lost her husband, all she has is just this this foreign daughter-in-law, Ruth, that's tagging along with her. She says, call me bitter. Change my name. Because my life is bitter. Essentially saying, God hates me. What she can't see through her tears is that that Ruth is the one that she's going to find redemption in. That her story is going to change into something glorious. And it's the same here that that happens in the in the life of Mary Magdalene. She's she can't see through her sorrowful tears to see that something wonderful is happening here. But then something undeniable happens. She encounters. Her, her Lord. Jesus walks up. And Mary first thinks she's a gardener. Or thinks that he's the gardener. Now it appears that in Jesus' resurrection body, he had some ability to kind of mask who he is. We see this in other uh, instances of, of people interacting with him uh, after his resurrection that they can't really see who he is until he wants them to see who He is. And so that that happens here with Mary. And Jesus asked Mary two questions. First, He he asked her the same question that the angels had asked. Why are you weeping? Jesus expresses care concerning her sorrow. While He may know that that sorrow is about to turn to joy, he still concerns himself with it. She has cared for him throughout his entire ministry, and now Jesus is showing care for her in her tears and in her weeping. Folks, know that, that even in that moment where we can't see hope, where we can't see any joy, And even though God knows that He's doing something very wonderful in our lives, He's going to bring about some redemptive work and He's going to do some great things through even in our tragedy, know that even in our crying, He cares about that sorrow. He doesn't dismiss it. Psalm 56.8 says, You have kept count of my tossings. You've put my tears in your bottle. And they uh, are they not in your book? Jesus knows. The Father knows your sorrow and He cares about you in it. But then He follows up with another question. Who are you seeking? Jesus knows who she is seeking, but He wants to hear it from her. She answers, Sir, if you have carried Him away, tell me where you have laid Him and I will take Him away. She's still looking for His body. So Jesus lifts whatever supernatural veil 
that was there, he lifts it up so she can see. And he does it by calling her by name. Jesus said to her, Mary. The empty tomb could not wake her from her nightmare. Peter and John could not wake her from her nightmare. Not even angels had waken her, woken her from her nightmare. But the sweet, familiar voice of Jesus calling her name wakes her from the nightmare of His death and into the beautiful reality of His resurrection. She turned to Him and she says, Rabbi, Teacher. This was a personal relationship. The hope that she had was not an empty tomb or an angel's. Her hope was in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, her Teacher who knew her by name. This is the hope of mankind. Let me ask you this morning. Do you know Jesus? And does He know you? Do you have that personal relationship that Mary had where Jesus knew her by her name? And she knew Him as, that's my teacher. That's the one who I obey. Do you have that personal relationship? This is what this is all about. That that if you have a personal relationship with Jesus because of His death, because of His resurrection, if you believe, you, like Mary, will have hope. Jesus said to her, because I assume in her joy, in her enthusiasm, she went to, to grab Him. To hug Him. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to Me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to My brothers and say to them, I am ascending to My Father and Your Father, to My God and Your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that He had said these things to her. Uh, what's happening here? I, I, I think we can only speculate. Why was Jesus resistant in her touching him? Because we know Thomas is going to touch him. Uh, He's going to interact with others. It's not like he's a ghost that can't be touched. Um, We know that Jesus kind of seems to to be able to move between the realms, right? Of the heavenly uh, realm and with his father. So maybe this was right after the resurrection. He had not yet gone to the father. And because of that, for some reason, he didn't want to be touch i don't know there's lots of speculation as to why but i think what we what we need to zero in on is this sentence in verse 17 when he tells her i'm ascending to my father and your father to my god and your god this is god's greatest gift to mary the hope of a mediator as jesus says hey i'm going to the father and He's your Father. And I'm going to, to my God who's also your God. And I'm going to be the mediator between you, Mary, and God. And, and between mankind and God the Father. And this is what the death and burial and resurrection and ascension of Christ is all about. That we now have one who speaks our case, who pleads our case before the Father. 
John and Peter were just at the tomb. No angels, no appearances of Jesus. He chose to reveal his resurrection to a woman with a past that had served him behind the scenes. From his, the announcement of his birth, lowly shepherds out in the field, to the announcement of his resurrection to a woman with a past, that had been a behind-the-scenes servant. Should it not encourage us that Jesus' work is for everybody? It's not for the people with money. It's not people with, with the fame. It is the every person. It is the person who just simply are sinners that, that need a Savior, that need that mediator between them and the Father. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God sent His Son to the lowly? Because we are all the lowly. I ask you to please stand as our musicians come. I'm going to pray. Respond however God has spoken to you through His Word this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank You for the story of Mary. I thank You for her salvation that You pulled her from a bad way. And you made her a silent servant of Christ and then God, You gave her the glorious Gospel, the resurrection. God, You have done that for us all. You have taken us all. All of us are in, insignificant. trusted us with the gospel. God, help us to take it. Help us to take it into a world who so desperately needs it. God, if there's anyone here who doesn't believe it, help them to believe that gospel. God, we thank you for all that you do for us. Most of all, we thank you for Christ whom we celebrate in this season and every season. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Teams.